Conference of Champions rolls on. No truck stops here. We are the Pac-12. We are the best of the best. Welcome to No Truck Stops, a Pac-12 podcast. I'm Avery, and I'm here with Carlos. Hello. Greg. Hey. And Matt. Hello, hello. This is our football episode recapping the week in the Pac-12. As always, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at No Truck Stops Pod, and send us an email with your questions at No Truck Stops Podcast at gmail.com. I'm still really annoyed that those are different things, but that's okay. We'll carry on. We've actually got a couple of questions at our email. We'll pick one of those to read this week. Obviously, the Pac-12 football season is over, but we wanted to do some post-mortem discussion, so we'll do that. We'll do a little game of what if, and we'll preview the first Pac-12 bowl game of the season. But first, we got to do some coaching carousel news. Do you have a sound for coaching carousel news? No, I know I it sounds. Like it, lo- it looks like yeah. Wow, it, uh, the production. We've had this. so much coaching news <laughs> in this audio experience. It's just going downhill. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Oregon hired Georgia defensive coordinator Dan Lanning. Lanning is 35 and was named the 2021 Recruiter of the Year by 24/7 Sports very prestigious award. He doesn't have any head coaching experience, but did help lead Georgia to the nation's best defensive per SB+. These are so, there are, excuse me, geez, I can't even read. There are so many takes out there about this hire, so I want to know what grade do you guys give this hire for the Ducks? Greg, let's hear it. So uh, at first when I heard the hire was happening, I was like really optimistic for Oregon, you know, like I liked the idea of it, you know, the concept of like Oregon saw what Mario did well, which was recruit, and they saw that that was important, and they tried to replicate it. And, you know, I'm very in favor of that. Uh, but I also thought they, because they hired a, uh, a coordinator who had no head coaching experience, I thought they'd have a lot of money to go big on the assistant pool. And so I was very underwhelmed with the uh, with the offensive coordinator hire. And uh, his first name's Kenny Dillingham, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Dilly Dilly. Yeah. That's a great last name. And, like, while on the surface saying you poached uh, Florida State's offensive coordinator, like, that sounds good because Florida State's a big program or whatever. He doesn't call the plays there. Like, that's Mike Norvell's job. And I don't know if he has ever called the plays because when he was at Auburn, I'm pretty sure Gus Malzahn, Malzahn was doing that. So it's just like a really big unknown and having a first time head coach who was a defensive coordinator is one thing, but like having a first time play caller at the exact same time as that doing your offense when the most important part you've got to have nailed down when you hire a defensive coordinator as your head coach is your offense. It's, it's really risky, you know, like I don't understand why they made this hire because I really think they they could have done better. They could have gotten more of a known quantity that would have made me feel a lot more comfortable. Like, this could totally work out great. There's lots of upside there because, you know, we just don't know what these people are as coaches totally. Like, I feel confident that they'll recruit, but I don't feel confident in a ton more than that. But I also think they could have done a much better job, like, limiting their downside. I think there's there's potential for it to flame out pretty quickly. So I'm I'm pretty conflicted on it overall. What's what your grade? what's your grade? Yeah. Oh, grade? I don't know. 
fucking C plus, whatever. <laughs> Grades are all right, Danny Canal. <laughs> <laughs> um, can we talk about how this news broke for a second? Like, oh yes. Yeah. So Mario Cristobal left officially left the program on Monday of last week, right? And was it on Friday that? The news, or was it Saturday? Days blend together. It's fr- it was Friday because they were talking about like, oh, we'll definitely know by dinner Saturday was the line that we were getting from John Canzano. Hmm. So he, the the did news you just broke. Get a, did you just get like just a cash a app Venmo. Venmo? Oh yeah. Oh thanks, mom. That was really <laughs> nice of you. Oh, uh, she probably feels bad because I'm sick. Anyways, um, the news like broke. <sighs> I need to get a better mom. Unofficially, my mom cost me money. <laughs> Friday from some J- JFC, right? I don't even know who it was that ended up doing it. But then everyone's like, "No, this is not real. This is misinformation." Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And then on was it last night? It was Saturday. I, again, I have no idea what day it is. It officially broke, and when it fir- when the news first came out, that was false news or not official news i was very impressed by the hire and kind of scared because i don't think mario cristobal is a good coach i think he's a highly paid recruiting coordinator i think carlos talked about it really well on our last basketball episode where we talked about the mario cristobal news um i think oregon really lucked into this hire i think it's a great choice someone who can recruit and run a defense and I would initially give this like an A minus of a grade, but same as Greg, I'm kind of concerned about this offensive coordinator hire. Um, I mean, it's his choice, but going with another really young and experienced guy just doesn't seem like the logical decision here. Then again, I am just a credible Pac-12 journalist and not a coach. (laughs) So what do I know? Yeah, I kind of am, am of the same mind. Yeah, just a little bit about the way that this news broke. People out there, everyone uh, who I, who has been involved in college football for a while, and I get why they say this, was talking about like they have this the uh, this rule, the Bruce and Brett rule. If Bruce Feldman and Brett McMurphy don't tweet it, it's not real um, until they tweet it. But uh, for me, I was like, uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is like, a big newspaper in a metropolitan city, like the biggest newspaper in one of the biggest cities in the country. This is like if the New York Times or the LA Times broke something, right? They're not going to like post something unless they had really credible sources. Um, they, I think their standards for reporting are higher than even Bruce Feldman um, and Brett McMurphy, frankly. Um, so yeah, very funny that, uh, Bruce Feldman was like, this is not true. And all the Oregon message board writers were like, this is not true. This didn't happen. This is fake. Um, and, uh, of course it was true because again, (laughs) it's the Atlanta journal constitution. Once again, newspapers, uh, beat out internet writers at like 10 times out of 10, as long as the newspaper is a credible one. Uh, about the hire, I, when it first came out, I gave it like an A minus B plus, a lot like Avery did. Um, on its face, it seemed like a good hire. You all had said it, like a promising assistant at a high profile program, an elite recruiter, hungry to prove himself, young. Um, and again, Mario Cristobal was a great recruiter. I don't think that Dan Lanning. It's, I mean, Dan Lanning may even be an upgrade at re- at recruiting just because he won this reward award from twenty four seven Sports. Uh, but then, yeah, like you all said, uh, just looking at who he might be hiring, I'm not sure that it's official, but it seemed like it was coming from a credible source that he was hiring, 
uh, Kenny Dillingham as his offensive coordinator. The dude is 31 years old. Um, he's been an offensive coordinator uh, for, I think, two years, maybe a little bit longer than that. I'm not sure if he was an offensive coordinator at Memphis, actually. But he's exclusively operated under Mike Norvell, um, who himself is an offensive you know, mind has his scheme and has a system. We don't know how much like the play calling duties have actually been handed over to him. But even if, even then he's sort of sitting within Mike Norvell's system. It's not like, it's not like he's gone to other places and taken this system sort of to the next place. So yeah, I mean, I'm skeptical. And I think if you're young and you don't have much head coaching experience, you'd want to kind of mitigate that by hiring experienced people around you as support. Like that's a little bit of the Justin Wilcox formula when he started at Cal is he surrounded himself with guys who had some head coaching experience to help him navigate some of those things. And if you're going to surround yourself with your buddies who are about the same age as you, that might not be particularly helpful. Um, So we'll see. I don't like, I don't think uh, I want to make the distinction here that just because I don't know if this is a good hire doesn't mean that I think it won't work out. Like it may work out. Who knows? I think on its face though, um, I was super optimistic, gave it an A minus B plus, but kind of hearing about who the coordinators might be, I'm going to, I'm going to drop this to like a B minus. Um, now again, if, if that, that ends up not being true and he does go out and get someone, an experienced offensive coordinator, um, I, you know, I might feel differently, but, um, but that's what I'd say right now and save it, a, give it a B minus. Okay, I did some quick research, and it looks like he was the unofficial quarterback coach at Memphis for the 2016 season and then was promoted to the official quarterback coach in the 2017 season and was made the offensive coordinator in 2018 at Memphis with uh, 2017 and 2018 Memphis having back-to-back top five offenses in college football. And he also received the award of number one recruiter Um, by 24-7, but in his conference, which it's, you know, Memphis, but still. Different in a G5, but still impressive. I, so I am mostly intrigued by the, I have no idea if the hire is good, uh, C plus, whatever. Um, (laughs) I am mostly intrigued by the philosophy of this hire, Um, because this to me just screams, really doubling down on the idea that Oregon can recruit nationally, um, mm. specifically avoid and, and specifically acknowledging the fact that USC is about to lock down California. Um, I think that going with somebody who is entirely tied to the South and the SEC area and it, yeah, just like you said, doesn't really have much of a resume outside of ran Kirby smart system super well. Like I, you know, I, it is, this is definitely to me a, a huge bet on the idea that Oregon can build a competitor to USC and USC being California built by going national and trying to pluck bodies and guys out of the South. And it's hard because I, I think that that's a really bold strategy. I think I don't actually have that much faith in the strategy. And, and generally speaking, if you just isolate that, I give this, you know, I give this higher a C. The problem is, is that you factor in the fact that that they clearly believe that USC is about to run California again, that they're not going to be able to get those guys out of California, and that that taking a somebody with a California tie, a la Justin Wilcox, isn't going to get you anywhere, and is and is just setting up to to play for second place. That to me kind of elevates this just a little bit in the sense that I. 
at least you're trying, man. Like this is definitely going for two and instead of playing for overtime to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will, I will always side with that rather than, um, rather than Jimmy Lake punting from his own 35. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the philosophy, like you said of, I mean, I don't, you didn't love the philosophy, but I do love the idea of, uh, doubling down on recruiting nationally. Cause I do think Oregon can do it. Like, I don't think they'll do it at like a top five level, but I think they can be pushing top 10 most years, even without, you know, even with a resurgent USC, because I think they've got a national brand that most Pac-12 teams don't have. And uh, I also think it is smart to, (laughs) it's smart to do this if you want to compete for, compete for Pac-12 championships. Like you said, uh, go for two, don't play for overtime, try to win. I'm starting to think a big reasoning in hiring Dan Lanning is he was the primary recruiting on Noah Sewell for Georgia, and they really, really don't want Noah Sewell to enter the transfer portal, and it doesn't look like he'll be doing that now. But I definitely think they were considering that, considering he's probably their best player now that Thibodeau's leaving. Yeah, Uh, that's a good point. And I think, I don't know, I mean, I, I think I'm of the same mind as you, Greg, in thinking about talent matters talent matters a lot um and like yeah you like absolutely you can underachieve with talent but it it does also raise your floor as much as it you know hires your ceiling um I, i think especially in the era where usc might be soaking up all of the california talent accumulating high level talent will be super important um and accumulating talent i think in ways that dan lanning might which might I don't know. It might there he might be able to create a pipeline from the south uh, to Oregon, um, and having that sort of you know we talked about it with Mario Cristobal that SEC mindset. I mean, he's literally from the SEC immediately. He just got plucked out of the SEC, so I I definitely don't mind prioritizing recruiting and prioritizing the accumulation of talent because that's going to be the thing that um, competes with USC. Um, I and to your point about the brand, I, I totally. Th- I'm a little bit more convinced about um, Oregon's brand than I was maybe at the beginning of the season, just seeing the kind of conversations that were happening around Oregon and the amount of attention that national uh, media and national talking heads were talking about Oregon um, and how much this coaching search has kind of drawn attention. It's funny. Uh, one of the one of the things, one of the, like the weird uh, byproducts of this whole coaching search and this crazy coaching carousel has been um, the the importance of Twitter Spaces. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Twitter Spaces thing has blown up, and it especially blew up with this Oregon coaching search. These like r- like just random Oregon fans who like got mm-hmm. on Twitter Spaces and this. Oregon Twitter space where they're talking about like the head coaching search blew up to like close to 2000 people were on this Twitter space for extended period. Like we're talking that space was open for like two days. It was open almost consecutively for two days. Yeah. Yeah. It was there all the time. Like I was putting it on and you can only, I think you can only see it on your smartphone and maybe even your iPad. Um, But like it was there constantly and it was like consistently at, at the lowest I had seen it was like 800. Um, but frequently it was pushing, it was getting close to 2000 people in there at one point. Apparently they had Dan Lanning's brother in there. <laughs> like that dude was like on there for like six hours until 4am Eastern time, his time. 
uh, like asking, like a- answering questions from people about Dan about his brother, which was insane. To but me. he kept referring to his brother and- as Dan Lanning. Like he would say his whole name. Yeah, not <laughs> once. <laughs> not once. Did Every he time. Say like anything that resembled anything familiar. Like nothing. No. He nickname. did call him Daniel once. Half the time he would be like, it's, it's Dan. I mean, uh, Daniel Lanning, like totally just like we are using full professional legal names at all times. Do you think it's uh, fake? No. Apparently Oregon fans like verified proved it. this. Yeah. Like via Facebook or going deep on his Instagram. <laughs> like it was insane. These happy for the Oregon fans, but that was weird. <laughs> it, was, it was really weird. Really like, weird. I, and well, like and the was like, women's basketball coach for Oregon was on it at one point. The AD and like, was on it at one AD, point. Like, Talking, like answering questions. Yeah. <laughs> what do you, why? <laughs> there was also the fan that like requested two days off of work. There was the other fan that didn't take a break to go to the bathroom so you could hear him flushing. Oh, that's yeah. right. I did. <laughs> it, was, it was brutal. Like players' parents were on there talking. Oh, that's right. The Sewell's dad. The Sewell patriarch, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was insane. And was like... A- kind of cool but also made me really mostly uncomfortable i didn't spend <laughs> yeah. much time on it like did I. but the times that i was listening i i heard some very very interesting things from oregon fans and that is a <laughs> funny fan base let me tell I, you i was simply copying stuff down for homework notes um it i no joke i was on there for like three hours it was absurd <laughs> it was absolutely Reporting. absurd and i will say None of it doesn't fit in college football. It was entirely college football, incredibly pure. (laughs) It was amazing. I think I was on for like three minutes, and then um, Dan Lanning's supposed brother, in quotes, said, please give my brother a job, which... Like, I don't know if he was making a joke. I don't know. But I was like, what? Who are these people? Oh, there's an Oklahoma fan. Oh, my gosh. This is my favorite part. There's this Oklahoma fan, just random, obscure Oklahoma fan that was given permission to be a speaker who kept talking about his experiences, an Oklahoma fan who lost his coach and had to go through the coaching search. Like, he had experienced this traumatic thing and was trying to give advice to Oregon fans. <laughs> It was so weird, and nobody called them out for it. I requested to speak multiple times and was not given permission. I mean, there was 1,800 people in there. I'm sure hundreds of people were requesting to speak. Like, anyone else have anything to say? Yeah. I just think it's crazy how it's now Sunday night, and there's still four of us in here talking about this hire. That's just that just says a lot about Oregon's brand as a whole, and and it's just really cool, guys. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's just really cool. Before we move on, I do want to say. I still like this hire better than like any of the candidates that were mentioned, except for Lane Dave, Kiffin or Dave, Dave Aranda. Aranda. Yeah, I think Dave, I Aranda, hate would Dave Aranda would have been my dream hire. I hate like... this hire. Are you kidding me? Go ahead. Well, okay, so there you don't even no, want to talk about because the hire. there are no jokes about this hire, Carlos. Do you know how many <laughs> amazing jokes there would have been if Lane or Chick or Wilcox? Oh my gosh! Like this is the least amount of content available, and I hate it. So let's talk. So real quick, uh, John Canzano reported that Wilcox, Justin Wilcox, was actually offered the job. Like full on had an offer and turned it down. That's been verified by um, someone else at the Oregonian, Aaron Fentress, I think his name is. Um, and Kyle Bonacura also confirmed it. Buz- First how, of all, what how's the John fuck Wilner was doing? that? How's, yeah, how's John, John Wilner oh coping? Oh <laughs> Let's. Uh, I'll, I have some. I have some notes about John Wilner later on. But yeah, yeah. Again, <laughs> I uh, I wanted Wilcox. I wanted Wilcox to be hired so badly 
just for the jokes, like Matt said. That would yeah. I tweeted jokingly like last week that they should hire Wilner. So for them to actually Will offer Cox. him the job, sorry, Wilcox, same <laughs> person, the same thing, They're might the as same well person. be Wilner. They one the person, they are one in the but same. I wish they would have hired Wilcox. That would. Why did he say no? <laughs> what? Well, that's what I'm thinking. The only conclusion I can come to is it was like a fake offer. If it was, if it did happen, like there are enough people talking about it that like. It probably happened, but I'm wondering if it was just like a low-ball offer to appease boosters who wanted it. Oh, that's possible. Because there were, like that was the reports for a while was the boosters wanted Wilcox boosters because he are was stupid. Exactly, and you shouldn't fucking listen to boosters. But that's the only reason I can think of that that might be true because there's no way there's no way you stay at Cal when you're Justin Wilcox and you've had the tensions there that Maybe he has with the safer, city of Berkeley. Well, he has a safer position at Cal. Does he? Then I think he does. You can yeah. underachieve at Cal way easier than Oregon and not get shit for well, it. Um, yeah, but going going to Oregon, you reset the clock. Whereas That's true, and you get all that money. Yeah, well, the money is the biggest factor, yeah. of course. But like, does Wilcox believe that he's going to like get better offers than Cal? with success over the next few years because i really do not see cal having much success over the next few years i have no idea if that offer is actually real all i do know is that i want like wilcox's agent hit me up i want to hire you <laughs> desperately john wilner just like, add him on twitter <laughs> I've, never, I've never seen this man's name a single coach's name besides urban meyer come up more in a single search like or in a single john in a single wilner. coaching um carousel like, ducks legend john will john literally literally we justin wilcox I can't literally speak. uh like the only reason Justin Wilcox has entered the discourses in two coaching searches, high profile, is because of John Wilner. John Wilner was out there peddling Justin Wilcox. No one he was even no one was thinking about Justin Wilcox as an option until John Wilner put that out into the universe and started to, like going to bat for it. And then he came up in the Washington search multiple times. And then it was like, hey, as a joke, what if Justin Wilcox? And then it became a thing. Like it's like. Uh, that his John Wilner he he owes fifteen percent of his salary to John Wilner. I want to get John Wilner on the podcast. <laughs> John, come on down. Tell us tell us about you. I've done so much talking to John Wilner. Again, I have a little bit more more for him later on. Okay. But, um... All right. Let's move on and play a little game of naughty and nice. <laughs> Tis the season. We thought we'd get a little festive with our Pac-12 football season postmortem. The rule is simple. We're going to pick which teams, coaches, players belong on our naughty and nice list for the year. Let's start with our naughty list, and we'll go one player slash coach slash team at a time. Matt, let's start with you. Who's one person on your naughty list from this season? Uh, somebody who is naughty on my list. Um, very tempted to take what I hope is is Greg's naughty um in in a certain uh sacrificial event damn it <laughs> um but but i want to make sure that i leave oh, that alone okay. for greg well, I'm here i'm gonna take it so sorry. okay rude <laughs> oh my goodness um i think hmm i think for for naughty I, I think I gotta go with with Wilner here. I I think I gotta oh, go. He's on my list too. Wilner. <laughs> I, I think I gotta go with John Wilner. Absolutely, uh, in the bag for Justin Wilcox for some unbeknownst reason. 
yeah, he's of all mine the coaches too. to do that for. Like, yeah. why fucking Justin <laughs> why Wilcox? Justin, that's I don't some, get it. I think Carlos hates John Wilner so much because Carlos wants to do that. And John Wilner's wants taking to be it away from him. The Justin Wilcox shill, yeah. <laughs> no, okay. That, so here's why he's the doing it. You staked out before the season, and then Wilner swooped it from you. Here's 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 why he's doing that. He's doing that because just like every other big time reporter out there, your John Wilners, your John Canzanos, your Adrian Wojnarowski's, your Sean Sharania, your No Truck Stops podcast, your No Truck mm-hmm. Stops podcast, um, they say these things and try to like get their names out there for coaching positions and kind of act as a quasi agent because they give them access to information like. John Wilner desperately needs people to give him access so that he has scoops. Uh, and I think the biggest one that he did, particularly at the time, because John Wilner, I think, has been quiet about Justin Wilcox for a minute now. Um, the big one was the COVID situation <coughs> at Berkeley. Um, yeah. He was getting, and, and it was pretty obvious, he didn't say it explicitly, he was getting the vast majority of his information from Justin Wilcox. Why, why do we know that? Because... Uh, when he first, and this is my, I'm sorry if I'm taking over. This is one of my naughty lists here. Um, he was doing that because uh, the reason you could tell that he was doing that was he was blaming immediately the city of Berkeley for its oppressive, horrible guidelines and um, uh, it, protocols for quarantining and all of this other stuff. He was just, he was trashing the city of Berkeley for that. Um, and... It came out later on that uh, it turns out that Berkeley wasn't involved in that. It was actually just malmanagement, malpractice from Cal and Justin Wilcox, the Cal football program in particular. Um, so he kind of looked foolish there, John Wilner, for going at the city of Berkeley and then had to like backpedal um, to do it. And by the way, I can't stand Justin Wilcox because even during the 2020 season that like shortened awful COVID year. Uh, he was out there acting on some people's behalf, if not his own, trying to say, yeah, we definitely need to have a football season. There's no evidence that football uh, football games and going to football games transmit COVID. Um, it's it's safer to have them on campus. He was using a lot of like Clay Travis level uh, talking points. That's why I hate John Wilner. A lot of this shit kind of and I and I kind of think Justin Wilcox was a primary source for him on that, too. So I say all that to say the reason he's talking about Justin Wilcox so much or was was because he was giving him access. And that's what you do. You're like, hey, how about you give me a little scoop and uh, I'll float your name out there and start talking about how great you are and how hard it is to win at Cal. Yeah, but like usually they limit the ass kissing to like the same tweet as the scoop like Feldman in his tweet about uh BYU's extension with Sataki is just like unprecedented, you know, things like that. But then they don't go talking about it more after that. I guess Wilner's more limited in his scope, though. He's only got 12 teams he's covering, so it makes more sense that he'd spend more time propping up the teams that are giving him access. Anyways, Carlos, remind us who's coaching your hypothetical university again. Oh, was it? Did I pick Justin Wilcox? You definitely picked Justin Wilcox. Yeah, you did fought us for picking i will say my coach won pac-12 coach of the year so Mm. i stay winning there okay john wilner you are on the naughty list my the first person i have on my naughty list sorry greg if you wanted to talk about it but it's 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 carl durrell 
um, for oh, a few cool. reasons. Not mine. Okay, so Matt just completely <laughs> missed. I almost Matt. put him on my nice list. Oh. <laughs> wow. Sacrifice? Greg pro murder. <laughs> because he has made me so much money this year with that offense. But <laughs> okay, Carl Durrell is on my naughty list. Uh, last season, he won Coach of the Year. I know it was during COVID, but nonetheless, you have high expectations after that. Um, he failed to do anything about his offensive woes until I think week eight when he finally sacrificed Mitch Rodriguez, their um, offensive line coach. And that, that bought them a little bit of time, but not really nothing at all. They just beat Oregon State at home, which is it's easy to beat Oregon State when they're not playing in Corvallis. Um, Jarek Broussard is literally on this man's team. And this was the worst offensive season for Colorado since 1964. That should be illegal. Jarek Broussard is a very good running back and you ruined him. They did fire their <coughs> offensive coordinator finally, Darren Chavarini, but he and I know he was here before Carl Durrell and it was kind of like the university begging him to keep him, but don't. You got to make the decisions. You're the head coach. Mm-hmm. That's your fault and you didn't fire him until after the season. That Nor, is Go ahead. Nor did you choose to sacrifice him early. Yeah. Exactly. Had that yeah. option on the table you the whole time. You didn't use him as sacrifice. Have we heard from um, Darren Chavarini? Greg, do you know? You know, I have not seen anything from him. So he could have been sacrificed. We'll have to wait and see for <laughs> next season. We'll have but... to monitor uh, assistant coaching hires, see if he gets hired. If he doesn't, I think it's safe to say Carl made the sacrifice. And, or it's uh, because he's a terrible offensive coordinator. I mean, there's that too, but... I'm going to assume that Carl made the sacrifice, and we'll we'll have to be watching Colorado. They might push bull eligibility next year if that is the case. Yeah, I get this is Col- Colorado, but Carl Durrell was horrid this season, mm-hmm. and he is on my naughty list for that reason. Yeah, fair to fair to to be fair to Carl Durrell. That that technically wasn't his, and not even technically, it wasn't his offensive coordinator hire. Colorado was like, hey, if you want this job, you got to have this guy as your offensive coordinator. So. Next year will be the, the who they hire for offensive coordinator is going to be pretty important. I'm going to be watching that. Um, uh, I know I kind of already got one off my naughty list, but I'll throw another one out here. Um, USC, not because they were bad, be but because I think the evil empire is back. Um, <laughs> they going after boy. <laughs> going after Lincoln Riley and once again resurrecting the USC evil empire is very naughty to me. I'm terrified. Everyone else should be terrified. I'm going to have nightmares about it. Everyone else should have nightmares about it. Uh, I think they're back. I think when they're back, they're evil. They're the, like, I've got to say, if you're a neutral observer, they are one of the greatest villains of all time when they're at full power. And um, USC fans, let me tell you, you all, you all, you, you think Oregon fans are bad. You think some people, some out you, some of you out there, you think Utah fans are bad. Buddy, you don't know what it's like when USC Twitter is out there. Like, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. Um, It's infuriating. It makes you want to block every USC person out there. So USC is on my naughty list for activating them because they're back. (laughs) They left for like four years. They're back. I'm excited to find out who USC fans are. As of right now, they're basically Stanford. So that should be fun. Oh, oh you're going to wish you didn't say that. <laughs> Hashtag engagement. Let's go. <laughs> Trojans Wire has been waiting for something like this. Know, right? <laughs> okay, Greg, who do you have? Uh, I've got Herm. It's uh, a good one. 
I defended Herm before the season. Loser. Yeah, <laughs> Imagine uh, doing he let that. me, he let I didn't me down. Do that. I expected much better than this. You know, I picked them to win the conference like a fucking dumbass. Uh, <laughs> Jaden Daniels has regressed, like we've said multiple times on here. Uh, ASU has looked good, like, once this year against UCLA and never never really looked that great outside of that game. Uh, and they're not even recruiting well in this class. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with the uh, sanctions, but that's also his fault. So uh, Cole and his stocking 100%. Matt, did you have another? Love that. Are we going for another? Yeah, if you have them. I can. This. This. I. I have one that's a good segue into the next part of the of the exercise. If we want to do that. Oh, I have. I have one too. I was gonna say Rod Gilmore. Um. Oh. I. I watch. <laughs> I watch almost one. every Pac-12 football game, and because of that, every single game that was on ESPN after 6 p.m. Mountain Time had Rod Gilmore on the call, which is a lot of games. A, a lot of games. And it was horrible, and I should have been like Matt, and I should have muted the TV and carried on with my life that way, but I didn't because I'm a fool and can't focus without sound. And Rod Gilmore is terrible, and I will never get those moments of my life back. So, screw you, Rod Gilmore. <laughs> so bad. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just empty the clip here so that we don't have to keep oh, going back to Oh, he has a list. A real a, list. A, a real naughty list. Uh, Chip Kelly on there. He's a naughty boy just because he's always an asshole. Um, yeah, <laughs> he went 8-4 and four this year, and this was his best year at UCLA, which is pretty pathetic. Um, and maybe you think that's, like, positive or whatever. But there's no denying that Chip Kelly did very little to curry favor with the UCLA fan base uh, from refusing to let his beleaguered defensive coordinator answer questions uh to being type lift about injuries to treating reporters like shit normally don't care about that stuff but i hate him and i'm happy to find reasons to be angry at him uh you all said john wilner also on my list jimmy lake uh to have the talent <laughs> he had him. to underachieve yeah, that badly to be so publicly and high profile like just to be so visibly bad uh, embarrassing Nick Rolovich, if you remember who that was, it feels like a year ago. Yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) Uh, He's on my list for refusing to get vaccinated and then getting his ass fired midway through and really paving the way for uh, Jake Dickert to kind of take over there. And then lastly, uh, Pac-12 refs, mostly Michael Mothershed, um, the head referee for one of these crews. Uh, He's... Where, where do so we know bad. him from? Which notable uh, bad call oh, did he? Just anytime people who have watched these games know that Michael Mothershed, anytime there's a ton of stoppage in play, in, in play mm. he's the worst defender. It just feels he, like every game with him drags on to like four and a half hours. He's the guy that reviews whether the spot was good. Uh, yeah, like every Five time. minutes into the first he's quarter. He's broken pinky. Yeah, he's broken. Oh, oh he's broken ref. pinky. Yeah, oh, okay. that's what we should call him. Yeah. <laughs> no, everybody's too focused on his pinky. That was just Google. Yeah. Okay, everybody's yeah. too focused on the pinky to like realize how bad it's not just the is. pinky. It's the other fingers too. Like what the fuck? That all of them are. Yeah. I try to just hyper focus on on a person's one severe fault flaw generally, mm-hmm. um, rather than all of them. Yeah. Any others before we move on? Okay. So my my last person on the naughty list, uh, Charlie Brewer. Um. Really, who is that? just Mr. Mr. Charlie Brewer. Yeah, but who is that? Who is that? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> uh, exactly. No one knows I, who it is. Utah wish, quarterback from the beginning of the season. We wish to all remove him from our memory um, <laughs> and from Utah's early season record. Um, mm-hmm. Started somehow held some sort of a 
uh, some kind of blackmail over yeah, I, Kyle Whittingham. Maybe I, he sacrificed someone. No. I don't it's know. It's possible. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if he like if he hired the Yakuza and, and they were along campus threatening murders. I, I don't really know. Um, but somehow won the starting job and kept um, kept the Pac-12 out of the playoff and, and frankly stole a national title from the Pac-12. Stole a national title from the conference champions. I really think there's there's no arguing that. I will say I am thankful for Charlie Brewer um, slightly, and a reason he can be on the nice list is without Charlie Brewer, uh, there's a possibility Utah wouldn't be going to the Rose Bowl, and instead they'd be heading towards certain death in as the fourth seed mm-hmm. in the playoff, which I don't want um, at all. I, I want the Rose Bowl. Thank you. Very excited for the Rose Bowl. I think he has to be on the naughty list if. Uh... If only for the fact that uh, he's transferring to Liberty and yeah, fuck Liberty. Fuck Liberty. So, based. Yeah. Okay, Naughty Carlos. For Charlie Brewer. Carlos, start us off Surely with a nice BYU list. BYU fans will be on our mentions for that because <laughs> that's the same Good. shit. Good. Uh, BYU and Liberty, same schools to me. Uh, nice list. The first one. Um, that I, you got, I had written this down before we even started this. Uh, it's Justin Wilcox, partially what because I think second half, Didn't second half Cal. how much you hated him? Uh, I did not say I hate no, him. He hates him because oh, he said thinks I he's a COVID John, denier. Hate, yeah. I hate John but Wilner. He, he's focusing most Justin of his Wilcox anger on too, John though. Wilner. Yeah, it was mostly oh, John Wilner. To avoid hating Justin Wilcox. I see. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, probably for some of the same reasons, I think partially. I mean, I do think second half Cal was pretty decent, um, and they would be, let, let's be real, they'd be bowl eligible right now if there wasn't for some, like, wild COVID stuff. Oh, yeah. And I the wild fault COVID that is. stuff is there, Justin Wilcox's fault. <laughs> Yes. Karma, yeah, not, you lose to Arizona <laughs> if you don't believe in illness. Um, and then, yeah, I think it's also, uh, he's on the nice list because I think he's elevated his profile way, way higher than what he's done at Cal. Um, again, cannot express enough how this man went from being basically fired at Cal to turning down the Oregon job and being seriously considered for the Washington job. <coughs> so kudos to him for elevating his profile for for being just fine at Cal. <laughs> Well, I think the elevating profile thing is a perfect example of why athletic departments need to hire a fan just to be a fan, to give the fan perspective that follows social media shit, watches all the games, so they can be like, no, actually, this guy sucks. Trust (laughs) me. Yes. They need that. Like, why don't they have that? No one's thinking here. Okay. Top of my nice list, which I think is very predictable because I'm staying on brand here, is Devin Lloyd. Um, it's Devin Lloyd. Devin Lloyd's the nicest boy in the Pac-12. Um, a stat that I found really interesting is that he is the only player to be ranked in the top 100 in tackles, tackles for loss, sacks, interceptions, and passes defended. The only player. I know top 100 is a lot of players, but he's the only one in all of those five categories, which are big defensive categories. He won the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year, as he should have, and was a Walter Camp All-American He's also probably the best defensive player to ever play at the University of Utah, which is a very impressive honor. There's a lot of good defensive players. I think he, he can battle that one out with Eric Weddle. Um, and he is the best player on the best team in the conference. So, Devin Lloyd. Yeah, I, I think that's a good one. Um, I've got Drake London. Uh, just supremely fun player to watch made USC games, like, worth watching while he was there, you know? Like, everything USD su- USC did sucked for the vast majority of their games, but then it'd be like, oh, wow, 
Drake London just made a catch that physically shouldn't have been possible, but somehow he did it because he's magic. And it was just that over and over and over again. Deservedly won Offensive Player of the Year despite missing the games because in eight games he made as much of an impact as any other receiver did in 12. Uh, so yeah, I've got him. Um, I'm going with Clay Helton. Fly high, my sweet prince. Uh, <laughs> finally, him. unshackled uh, from the burden that is USC and how hard it is to win there um, and to succeed there in any way, shape, or fashion. Um, truly happy for for that man's glow up uh, coaching in at Georgia Southern. Um, would would never wish a truck stop upon anyone except for our our man Clay Helton. Very nice, very lovely. Deserves all of the gifts. Uh, I'm going to empty my clip again really quick. Uh, I picked Jaden Dora, DTR, and Cam Rising. I thought they were good quarterbacks and probably the only ones in the Pac-12. I guess Tanner McKee up there, but he missed a lot of games, and you know, ever mm-hmm. since his injury kind of wasn't a great finish when he did play, yeah. Yeah, so Jaden Delora, DTR, and Cam Rising are on my list. And then uh, also on my list was Jake Dicker. Uh, I thought it was very, very funny and very cool that as soon as Nick Rolovich got fired and people found Dick- Jake Dickert's uh, Twitter, he had pinned to his profile uh, uh, the tweet where he's like, get your shot, just got vaccinated, <laughs> which was <laughs> an awesome troll. I don't know if he did that on purpose, but it was from March, and he had that pinned. So, I hope uh, he did it on purpose. Yeah, nice list. Nice. Uh, he's on my nice list. I have, I have uh, Jonathan Smith on my nice list. I, I do as well. He, I think, obviously, Coach Whittingham won uh, Coach of the Year, but I think Jonathan Smith was right there. And I will say it again because I have to make this reminder every single episode: going seven and five at Oregon State is impressive. It is hard to do. This is not Oregon. This is not USC. This is this is not the top half of the conference. It is impressive, and this team was good, and they won every game at home, and on the road they looked like shit, but that's okay, because 7-5 and five is very good at Oregon State, and I really like Jonathan Smith. Please stop throwing the ball so much. <laughs> uh, I also have Yogi Roth. Um, oh, Yogi. Just our sweet Pac-12 propagandist. Propagandist. He, he, he did good work, you know. Nobody else gets excited for third-string fullbacks like Yogi does. And he actually knows what he's talking about and is good at commentary. And, you know, like, though I think Utah only played with Yogi Roth as the commentator once. Oregon but, State. Oh, I, yeah. I enjoyed it despite the yeah. loss. You know, like. Heartbreaking. I, I like hearing Yogi talk about my team. And I liked hearing him talk about other teams, too. Glad we have him. You always learn something. Always learn at least one new thing. Listening to Yogi Roth call the games, it's fun. I love Yogi Roth. Ted Robinson too. I thought he, yeah. I think he's great. He's been in the league even before the Pac-12 Network was calling a lot of Pac-12 games on Versus. So no, I, they're the best. They're the best team that the best duo that calls Pac-12 games. To be yeah, honest, yeah, they don't mispronounce names. They know the conference really well. <laughs> it's like I wish the Pac-12 Network was more widespread and available because it's actually like very well done. Yeah. It's a great. Okay, does anyone else have anyone for the nice list? I think BJ Baylor deserves a shout out too. Um, he was sitting behind Jamar Jefferson most of his career, and turns out he's an insanely good running back, which I think Jonathan Smith definitely helps a lot. But I have one more. Can't believe he's still available. Uh, Daddy George. Oh, oh, George. He's so yes. outstanding showing at the Pac 12 championship. Didn't make anything about him. Uh, wonderful job in the press conference it, doing this weird thing called like actually answering questions um that was pretty incredible 
um, and not just completely turning everything over into a, this is how amazing I am and how everybody else sucks at their job. Um, just, just fantastic, fantastic work by him. Um, looked adoringly at everybody up on the stage. It was like the pictures of him just smiling. smiling. Things so were happy. happy to be there. Yeah. Oh, so happy to be there. So proud of his boys. It was, it was hilarious. So yeah, Daddy George, huge shout out for him. It's really nice to have a commissioner that people aren't booing when and actually he champions the your league. Yeah, and yes. he like interacts with people on Twitter, which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. He's not um, an undertaker that is wearing a suit and pretending to be our commissioner. Uh, the yeah, expansion do- stuff is we don't need to talk about, but I mean, in terms of like what's best for the Pac-12. That is what he should be doing. Whether or not you think that's what's best for the sport as a whole is different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He he loves the conference and actually cares about it. I see. Yeah. He wants to do a good job, which is much more than you could say for the last guy. <laughs> do we know um, how much his hotel room was in Vegas? Did he... Did he spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars? I bet he's or... got those MGM connections. Probably not. He probably got he it for free because the... he's so nice and everyone loves him. Love that. Love that. He He's excellent. I really need uh, him to move Pac-12 HQ to Vegas, and I think that's going to happen because mm-hmm. he's a and smart he can man. work there. Gosh. Yes. He was a, he was talking, <laughs> speaking of home run hires, George Kliakoff was definitely the home run hire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that looks Better good. than Lincoln Riley. Does anyone else have any other niceless ads before we move on? Okay, uh, that was naughty and nice. We hope you had fun with that. Let's move on to our next segment here called What If. Here are the rules. You can change one thing about how the Pac-12 season unfolded that would have drastically changed the outlook on the year. I'll use one as an example and take an obvious one off the board. What if Cam Rising had started at quarterback for Utah at the start of the season? Maybe they're playoff contenders. Maybe this is a 12-1 season. Who knows? But does that make sense for you guys? Yeah. All right. Mostly. Greg, start us off with, go with your one what if. I'm going to go with a different quarterback that didn't start. Uh, I'll say, what if Ty Thompson started from day one at Oregon? Obvious. Yeah. I <laughs> I still don't think they make the playoff in that scenario because uh, I think Anthony Brown's experience played a big role in them beating Ohio State. Uh, like Ty Thompson probably makes some mistakes that might take him out of that game. Uh, and being a true freshman, I doubt he becomes the first quarterback ever to go through a Pac-12 nine-game conference schedule undefeated, and so they probably come out of that with two losses. But at the same time, I think it also improves their odds of winning the conference just because their offense was completely toothless the two times they played Utah with Anthony Brown. Like, they just couldn't do anything. Whereas, like, maybe it goes just as badly with Ty Thompson, but he certainly has way more potential to, to score and uh, it's cert- it, like there was no way it was going to get any worse than it was with Anthony Brown. So I, I really wish they would. Well, from a conference perspective, not from a Utah perspective, I really wish they would have uh, started Ty Thompson. I think their season would have been a lot more fun. I think that to piggyback off, more interesting. Go ahead. To piggyback off that, what if uh, Oregon lost to Ohio State? Oh, oh, that's good. I think you're looking at Ty Thompson taking over, and then does Oregon go twelve and one? Maybe. I don't think so. No way. They wouldn't have lost with to their, Stanford. With their only loss being to a playoff bound Ohio State because Ohio State only lost to Michigan. I think they I think I agree with Greg that they wouldn't have been able to survive a whole nine game conference schedule, but I don't think they would have lost to Stanford. I feel mm-hmm. very, very confident about that. 
It's interesting. It's interesting. It is interesting. The thing is, you just don't know where his mistakes would come up because, like, against Colorado and like his only series of the season or of the Pac-12 season, I guess he threw the pick. You know, and I'm not saying that defines him as a player, but that's just two freshmen throw picks, and so he might have like made other games closer than they were. Like, say, I'm trying to. What's a Pac-12 game Oregon dominated like? Maybe the a game only like, one was Wazoo. And Colorado, I guess. <laughs> well, they, in the fourth quarter, they blew everything mm-hmm. out. Yeah. But, like, you know, maybe other games go differently if he doesn't start. But I agree with you. I think they wouldn't have lost that Stanford game. I mean, that Ohio State game has so many implications beyond just who started, right? It's like the whole narrative around the Pac-12 mm-hmm. completely changes because Oregon did not beat Ohio State. Oregon beating Ohio State created this narrative that there was one team that everyone was going to beat. Everyone was watching the Pac-12 purely for Oregon. Uh, what 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 would have changed? I have no idea. It would have been f- fascinating because that it, it gets referenced every single. It got referenced every single week during the season. Yeah, honestly. it's the reason they mm-hmm. stayed ranked so high for such a long time. Mm-hmm. Like for even no if reason. they, yeah. even if they stayed, like they lose to Ohio, Ohio State, they don't lose to Stanford. They go, they only have one loss going into the Utah game in Week Eleven. Like they're not going to be ranked, and I don't think they'd be ranked in the top ten. Maybe I doubt it. Like, they no, might have I been just, just because of the crazy season. Yeah, but, but it I, the narrative definitely wouldn't have been there for them. Like they were, yeah. they were. But even nationally, like you look at playoffs, and all of a sudden, you know that situation that everybody's talked about with Georgia and Alabama is probably happening with Michigan and Ohio State too. Mm-hmm. And then Cincinnati's probably not in the playoff. Like you might just have a Big Ten versus SEC. And where does Luke playoff, Fickle go? Like, where does Luke Fickle go? Because he's yeah. not in a coaching job right now because he's in the playoff. Right. <laughs> I still yeah. think they would. That's a good one. <laughs> I still think they would have hired Marcus Freeman, but that is interesting. I mean, maybe Notre Dame, but like, would USC have gone off, gone after Luke Fickle if his season LSU? was not? Would LSU, LSU have gone and gotten Fickle? I don't know. That That's fascinating. A That's a good question. <laughs> yeah. Okay, my I have a few what ifs, but the one I'm going to go with is, what if Oregon State never threw the ball more than 20 times in a game? Um. We'll say okay. We'll say, say twenty. We'll say. I don't even want ten. <laughs> like all season, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Runs in, a triple <laughs> in Oregon State's five losses to Purdue, Wazoo, Cal, Colorado, and Oregon, um, all of which were on the road. They averaged thirty-four passing attempts. In their wins, they had an average of less than twenty-one passing attempts per game. I I mean, you pass more when you're losing, but. I watched every single Oregon State game, probably one of the few non-Oregon State fans that did that. And I will say, in these losses, it felt like they were passing more early on. It wasn't the factor of, oh, we're behind and we don't have time to just run the ball, so we need a pass to catch up. It it really felt like Jonathan Smith was unnecessarily um, dialing up passing plays for some reason. I don't know why these aren't teams that you need to throw against to beat them, like their losses Oregon's the only one where I can say, oh, it makes sense that they'd throw the ball 39 times. But, like, why are you throwing the ball 38 times against Colorado? It doesn't make any sense. So that's that's my what if. I genuinely think. And, you know, they benefited a lot from the doom and gloom of Corvallis where no one can win. But I, I genuinely think they might have been in position to win the North, a uh, better position to win the North anyways, if they would have thrown the ball 25 times or less per game. 
See, so that one is is actually mine. Um, what if what if uh, Oregon State didn't have to play road games? <laughs> <laughs> what if they got all twelve games at home well, in the graveyard? Do they go twelve and zero? And I don't think there's any reason to suggest I mean, that they the would. Statistics show that they would. Or I I, guess well, the statistics from this season. The numbers don't lie, and they never will. Man, I wish I I wish I had the time during this episode to look up like the last five seasons at Oregon State and see what their win loss record is. Canonically undefeated, doesn't matter. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to. The last five years doesn't count Gary Anderson anyway. Like we skip back to Mike Riley. When there we you go. That. Yeah, basically, what I'm go. saying is that Oregon State shouldn't have to play on the on the road. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think I think that's fair. I think everybody like that, should that get makes to up enjoy for the talent. The, the cultural awakening that is, <laughs> is Corvallis, Oregon. That's a good one. Yeah. Matt, is that, is that yours? No, that was genuinely okay. mine. Right. <laughs> um, okay, cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, mine is a little weirder. What if after USC fired Clay Helton, they handed the reins over to their offensive coordinator, Graham, Hell, Graham, Graham uh, Harrell or Todd Orlando, their defensive coordinator? Uh, as we know, as it stands, USC handed over the reins of interim head coach to a very young, very, 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 very inexperienced defensive backs coach in Dante Williams. And USC, in turn, looked completely hopeless. Four and eight, maybe their worst season in about 70 years. Um, I'm not saying uh, Graham Harrell or Todd Orlando are elite coaches and are like bound to be head coaches anywhere else. But I do think someone with more experience maybe would have made them uh, significantly more competitive. Like, USC was just not competitive for the vast majority of the season. Um, maybe they don't get blown out the way they do against UCLA. Um, so I, I guess, does that then change the calculus and approach of their coaching search? Like, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Um, but we know, as uh, people who have watched USC have interim coaches... USC can absolutely go, uh, can absolutely go nuclear sometimes, uh, particularly if they get like a new head coach in there that just is like gonna try stuff and make players kind of play hard. Um, and maybe Graham Harrell or Todd Orlando would have gotten USC up, and things could have gotten weird. And maybe USC doesn't even end up with Lincoln Riley, and maybe they're kind of in contention for the permanent spot again, like Clay Helton was. So that's mine. Um, just what, what if what if they had just given it to someone else? Uh, can I add another what if? Yeah. What if Jimmy Lake didn't try to punt it on that fourth down? <laughs> I'm not super confident they would have had a game-winning drive if they would have converted. But I really, I really want to know what would have happened if they just yeah, had they gone have fired for it. Does he quite literally still have his job? <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I think he was still gone after that. Like I thought, I think his job was gone. Say the he gets, he... say he gets a fourth down conversion. Say he gets the fourth down conversion. He gets down to Oregon's like 50, 50 yard line. Like he gets to the fifty yard line. I don't know. He only loses by eight to Oregon. It's competitive at the end of the game. That's what they care about is being competitive against your rival. I mean, he also had that uh what's the right word? Altercation with a player on national television. You know, I honestly think if somehow Washington drove down the field and scored a touchdown, even if they didn't get the two-point conversion to tie the game. If they scored a touchdown and almost beat, like almost tie Oregon at the end of the game, they would they wouldn't care about the shove. Like I I think 
I think winning they or or almost winning the game in that situation like erases a lot of that shit. I don't know. Fans are crazy though. They probably would have blown it up still. I think yeah. I think the only thing that would have saved him was like a win and. You know, yeah. if it weren't for that attempted punt, Race Porter might have been Pac-12 first team, their punter. <laughs> I'm still <laughs> disappointed that he's not. Nope. Who that, was? That is the, I don't even know his name. Don't even care. Race <laughs> Porter is the best punter the in this conference, wow. and I am wow. disappointed. Disgusting. This is an outrage. Yeah. Yep. He was robbed. Mm-hmm. Drake London, if Drake London never got hurt, is also a good one. Like, if he stayed on course for the stats he was getting... I'm mm, not. Might have yeah, broken yeah. some records. He might have won a bullet in a cough. Yeah. I bet USC would have beat BYU at least. Yeah. Jesus. Um, first team punter was Kyle Ostendort from Arizona. I, I don't remember Arizona having very many. Did Arizona's punts. Did Arizona's kicker win first team? The punter. I know, but did his kicker? What kicker? No, won? it was it was Washington uh, State. Dean Dean Janikowski of the Janikowski Arizona's bloodline. Should have. I don't think Arizona. I don't think they're related. I think is they are. Is Janikowski also on steroids? Or? No, I heard that. <laughs> I remember one of the what broadcasts the was saying that they're not What are the chances of also being related. named Janikowski and being a kicker, though? They're very low, but I, I feel like uh, one his, of the his, commentators was. It does say, I just looked up. Okay, this is funny. I just looked up in his bio at Washington State. Parents, Dan and Heather, siblings, Megan and Jack, sister Megan, play soccer at Eastern New Mexico University, dot, dot, dot. No relation to former NFL kicker there Sebastian Janikowski. Yeah. <laughs> you must get that question a lot. Shockingly. <laughs> I wonder why. That's funny. That is really funny. I would include that too, though. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, I, mean, what, what, I mean, what's yours? No relation to fucking grapes? Like, what? I mean, if there, were, if there were someone, <laughs> my last name isn't grape, shockingly. If there was someone with my last name and I was like, a college athlete and there was a professional athlete in my same sport in the same position that's like famous for being good at that with the same last name as me we're related like there's no shot my last name <laughs> is too you, have weird you ever, avery have you ever looked up your last name on like the um name origin sites though yeah it means like the people that ring the bells in churches like okay. hey that's hilarious that's um, what the name means why b no just like because they'll the, it'll show you like how many like the estimated number of people that have your last name on there. Oh, I mean, I know everybody that has my last name. Like, yeah, but like a, even my last name, it's still like four hundred. I'm like, what? Like that my, doesn't make mine's any sense. Mine's less than a hundred. Okay. Yeah. All right, that's weird. You know, we're from Utah. We got the family history on lock. I know. Yeah, that's a good point. Relatives. <laughs> Anyways, does anyone also else have a any? Small circle, apparently. Hmm. <laughs> oh. does, does anyone have any what ifs? Uh, just one more. If Carlos kind of... actually watched the games. <laughs> um, I'm still over 500. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Um, what if DTR <laughs> had never gotten hurt against Oregon? Uh, if you remember that game, Oregon got big up, uh, got up big on UCLA. UCLA rallied late. Was kind of frankly lucky to be in it late. But in that final drive down three, UCLA was without Dorian Thompson Robinson and turned to Ethan Carbers in his really his first real action as a college quarterback. Garbers end up, uh, ended up throwing a pick in that one, um, kind of iced the game for the Ducks. But if DTR is healthy for that last drive, I wonder how that changes the outlook of that game. And then at that point in the season, like I wonder how it changes the outlook of the season and what that forces Oregon to do. I mean, mostly our what-ifs around Oregon is, what if something terrible happened such that Ty Thompson was finally able to get a shot? <laughs> um I mean, that's that's kind of the moral of the story for that one. I don't think UCLA then goes on to beat Utah with DTR, healthy DTR but um, because he didn't play that game. But it does make me wonder more about Oregon. Like, 
basically it's just like when when would anything have gone differently for Oregon to finally go to Ty Thompson instead of Anthony Brown? That's that's what I that's the biggest what if for me. I don't think DTR not getting hurt would have changed anything. Maybe it wouldn't have. Yeah. I don't know. But. I don't I don't think after winning the Ohio State game, I don't think there was anything that could have happened that made Oregon go Probably. to Ty Thompson. Like that sealed it. And which is stupid. The Utah games proved that with how bad Anthony Brown was and the In fact both that of them. Yeah. Like just stuck with him. At that point he well, was how many, Ty Thompson. How many appearances play. did Ty Thompson have? Uh I think he, he played three? against Stony Brook. He played against Colorado. Oh, I don't know. I Arizona, right? Did he play against Arizona? Oh, I don't know. Because I know they pulled away late in that one. Well, he might I, have gotten... Actually, he got a little bit of... Did we say Colorado already? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Was, he so he was, he was available. He could have played in either Utah game without burning his red shirt. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised we didn't see him in the conference championship after that pick to... I'm surprised people Ailid. still care about red shirts. That is a good point. Play your freshman. If they're good, they're not sticking around for a fifth season anyways. Exactly. It doesn't matter. Exactly. That's true. Okay. We have a couple questions that we got to our email to get to. Our first, one, actually. Oh, we have one question to get to. <laughs> nice. Our first is from our, please send us questions. Our first is from our buddy, Jake Brusick. Jake says, hi, I'm an avid Pac-12 enjoyer. The Conference of Champions, baby. My question is, will Drake London's style of play translate into the NFL, or is he simply just a screen boy merchant? Thanks. Fire chip. Carlos, do you want to start us off with this one? I'm personally offended. <laughs> We've we roasted are. Jake over this uh, many, many times, but he wanted to send this in for us to talk about it. Um, all right, so I just, just, just to give Jake a little bit of credit here, where he's coming from. I think where he's coming from is uh, USC's offense is an air raid offense, or at least for the first half of the season, I think was an air raid offense. They kind of started running the ball a lot more in the second half. Um, and they do run a lot of screens and Drake London has been involved in a lot of those. And so like, I get why someone would maybe come to the conclusion that Drake London is a screen boy merchant, but like, he's not, <laughs> um, he's like, he was like, did he, did he catch screens and do some stuff? Sure. But like, why actually he wasn't screens though. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Breaking news. Yeah, and, like, to be honest, that was where he was the least impressive. Like, he's not Marquise Lee, like, back in 2012 or something. He's not Juju Smith-Schuster where he's, like, he's going to get it and he's going to make a couple guys miss and then he's gone. That's just not his game. Or even just make a couple guys miss and get 10 yards. That's not what he does. He's not, like, that's not his style of play. In fact, it kind of highlights his biggest weakness, which is he's not, like, super fast and he's not, like, super quick and doesn't have those moves. What he's really good at is getting downfield and like catching anything over anyone if you throw it in his proximity. He's bigger than everyone and more athletic. He's so good at high pointing a football. It's insane how well he can high point. Yeah. So uh, I think we all. I don't think he'll catch screens at all. Mm -mm. No. No. Absolutely not. It'd be the. It'd be the biggest misuse of Drake London ever. In fact, in in the NFL, I think. He'd probably be better off as a tight end, yeah. um, mm-hmm. kind of getting used as one of those tight ends that that make big plays downfield. Mm-hmm. Yeah, His this lack is a, of speed relative to other receivers matters much less when he's at tight end. This is and a he can pro still do what makes him great. Drake London podcast, so mm-hmm. questions like this aren't going to survive here. He <laughs> I is, mean, we read it. Yeah, we did. Thank you, Jake, for your question. <laughs> Not trying to invalidate you, but. Yeah, but also we're invalidating. We're invalidating you. <laughs> he's a very good, very good wide receiver. So 
we'll see how that goes in the NFL because he'll definitely be playing. Even though he got injured, he is, in my opinion, I still think he's the best player to come out of the conference this season. I don't know. He's pretty elite. All right. We are almost done here. But before we go, let's do a game prediction. We are only talking about one bowl game today because it's the only one happening over the next week. But let's talk about the L.A. Bowl taking place this Saturday, December 18th at 4.30 p.m. Pacific time on ABC at SoFi Stadium. Oregon State is a seven and a half point favorite over Mountain West champion Utah State. Greg, who wins? Who covers? I don't know. I, I think Utah State's actually pretty good, but I'm not going to go against Jonathan Smith and the Beavlet. I'll take them to win, but not cover. I think it'll be a close game, a la that uh, Oregon State Washington Washington game where Jonathan Smith nailed it out and kicked a field goal to win. Um, do we know who's wearing which jerseys? Oh, that's game? an excellent question. That could change things. Oh, who's who gets to who who I, is the home team for these things? I think it's Oregon usually State's the, the team with non truck stop schools. Obviously, who cares? Isn't it usually the team with like the better record? Or, I don't know, or higher ranked or something. Higher I don't know. Ranked. I don't care. But it would I, never I would be think, in I that would scenario. Think it's Utah State, just because Utah State has the better record, and they. But won then the it would conference. never be the Pac-12 team, right? Because the Pac-12 team is the number six Pac-12 team to play the Mountain right. West champ. Wear your colors. Who cares? It's like blue versus oh, that's orange. True. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. If um, Oregon State can't go orange. white versus white. <laughs> Yeah, if Oregon State is wearing orange, I feel very, very, very good about this one. Um, Utah State dismantled San Diego State, but a lot of people don't know San Diego State was having some serious COVID issues, and that yes. is why that happened. People, yes, I, no one was talking about this. Like Utah State looked really good. It's because they were playing the equivalent of what happened to Cal against Arizona. Like it was bad. Okay, to be fair, no one was talking about the Mountain West Championship. That's game true. <laughs> well, I, a lot of, be- I, I a lot of people about that, in Utah but were because they're yes, like, I guess the so. state of Utah is elite football programs. And I'm like, uh, Utah State looked fine. They looked solid. But keep in mind, San Diego State was destroyed by COVID. But if Oregon State is wearing not home team colors, I don't think they cover. I'm still going to pick them to win either way. So... <laughs> This, this is really tough, and I'm, I'm going to need a vibrate here, Avery. Um, it's not even a vibrate, actually. Um, this is, a, on the surface, this is a very easy non-truck stop, non-cow school uh, uh, pick here in Oregon State. My problem here, where do we stand on basketball team momentum in two bowl games here? Because, oh boy, oh boy. Oregon State's basketball team is fucking bad. I'm they're, concerned. They're bad. I'm concerned right now. Hey, Avery, where do we stand on that? You know, I think my theory on what's happened is Oregon State's football gained so much momentum that they started leeching power from their basketball program to fuel it. So that's <laughs> and why. In fact, ran the cells dead. I'm not. That's. I'm not sure. I'm not 100 <laughs> percent sure here. Um. I'm, I'm going to say that it does apply to bowl games, but next year, Jonathan Smith has a real test. Uh, yeah, um, I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried for our beloved Beavlet here. Um, really, really concerned that all power is gone and or may have even, we may have even depleted into the negatives here. I mean, it's um, possible that Oregon State basketball just refuses to shine while Oregon State football is 
playing could because be. this is what happened last season too. Could be. Could Same be. thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll pick Oregon State. I think that they can just win physically, but uh, if, if, if it doesn't happen, we know who to blame. Yes, we do. Wayne Tinkle. Um, Oregon State should win because they have the talent advantage. I'm curious, like, I wonder, I wonder if, if there's going to be more. Or, first of all, I'm wondering if it'll be packed. It's at, at, it's at, it's at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood. I don't know. That trip is probably easier for the cow people at Utah State. No, um, the cow people have to take care of their cows. No, they that's true. Cow no, they can't abandon the cows. No cow babysitters. Um, it doesn't exist. I think I think that I'm gonna say more Oregon State fans might show so up for too. this one. I think they're like really living that hype. Yeah. From, I mean, uh, I think both of these teams are super excited to be here. It's so rare that this particular game, I guess this again used to be the Vegas Bowl, is now the LA Bowl. This game like is typically you have one team that doesn't want to be there, if if, if not both of them who don't want to be there. Um, I think both of these teams really want to be here. I think they're both excited for this. I'm going to say Oregon State. I'm going to say Oregon State wins, and I'm going to say they cover. I think they beat the shit out of Utah State. I think talent advantage is serious. The coaching advantage is, uh, for Oregon State is serious. So I'll say them. Beyond the, see oh, the like, verandas that they're doing for, for this game? What's a veranda? They, they have like some sort of like field level box seats that you can get where like if oh. you get 18 people. Oh, because it's, like it's Jimmy Kimmel's. It's Jimmy Kimmel's thing. Yeah. They're trying so to like, hype it up. Yeah. Like, we got to do that next year. <laughs> 200 bucks each. That's not bad. Let's do it. For yeah. a box. For box seats. Oh, yeah. Totally. I'm down. Yeah. Be on a lookout. Um, if you're watching this game, I would track how many passing attempts we <laughs> see from Chance Nolan because that will determine the game. The stats say so. All right, that's it for us. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at No Truck Stops Pod and send us any questions that you might have to No Truck Stops Podcast at gmail.com. We promise we'll read them every week if they come in. <laughs> if. For Carlos at Equity Bruin, Greg at Banana Morphs, and Matt at Matt Nyber, I'm Avery at Brave underscore Grapes. Thanks for listening. And always remember there are no truck stops here. Not even one. Still and thick with smoke So thick it makes you choke The crowd vibes in The coffee's kicking And my patience are wearing thin Said I'm lonely